You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Would you play Seance at the Pro Tour in exchange for 90 Bitcoin? This was a real offer on the table in 2017. Today we revisit one of the strangest chapters in brewing history. And of course, we build four new Seance decks. That's all coming up on this edition of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. As you might notice, our favorite CEO is not the one making the introduction today, but here am I, Mr. Mortulite, joined by the beautiful Damon. Damon, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. It's good to be back. It's been quite a while now. Glad to hear you back, and now with this beautiful new pair in the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Yeah, it's never been just us before. Yeah, the only time we have spoken was during the chaos of the 5% podcast, and nothing good could arise from that. <laughs> I think I think a good episode came out of that one, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, I don't know what the audience poll numbers are on it. <laughs> People can always tell us how they enjoyed it and if we should do more of that crazy stuff. So how has it been the last few days? Good, good. Uh, I was out for a long ski trip where I managed to merge morning skiing with afternoon into evening work and so it didn't really burn a lot of pto which let me do a a long icon pass road trip around the pacific uh not pacific northwest around the general mountain west through uh, montana wyoming colorado and utah and then we didn't stop anywhere in idaho but we came back i mean i guess we got lunch in boise well that sounds amazing sounds like a lovely trip not gonna lie yeah, yeah. You uh, you wind up being pretty far from magic cards when you're just going up chairlifts every day and then come back and work. But <laughs> I've been back for a few weeks now. Uh, we have a legacy tournament coming up in the local Seattle scene at Mox Boarding House in uh, March 27th. Have you been doing their testing? I did one league. Um, <laughs> most people's research process involves like, what are the good decks right now? And I did do that step. But then I but. caught my eye that somebody 5 out with Stoneblade recently, and so rather than play a good deck, I decided to play Stoneblade. <laughs> so you did, the, you did the reasoning, you did the studies, but then decided, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I mean, with Legacy, it's like one of those things where, first off, the format's interesting. Uh, there's no Ragavan. Your opponent goes turn one, you know, Scalding's Harn, and you're like, oh my god, they're going to cast Ragavan, and my hand doesn't have a source of Plowshares or, or whatever. But they can't cast it because it's banned in Legacy. <laughs> you're free from the menace. Right, right. So they still can go Dragon's Race Chandler into Daze, into Murktide, into Force of Will, or whatever, because Blue Red Delver is also the best deck in Legacy. Uh, but they don't have Ragavan, and that, that alone is just like a huge, like... I don't. I can't explain it, but it's like a thousand pounds are lifted off your shoulders. Just not even thinking about the stupid monkey. Not having to mulligan to a hand with turn one removal because you don't have to instantly kill a Darcy, especially if you're like a combo deck. You can ignore her, but not with Ragavan. That's not how it goes. Right, right. But yeah, actually, yeah, I went three two in my Stoneblade league, uh, and I think I maybe misplayed. Uh, I haven't played Legacy in a while, so I actually, I clearly misplayed. I'm was unclear as if I would have won <laughs> if I corrected for it. Yeah, but that's one of the beautiful parts about Legacy in that it works sort of like modern, where knowing the format really rewards the player for like specific lines. Right, right, and yeah, in, in that sense, Stoneblade really felt like uh, you know uniting with an old friend. <laughs> you know, finishing his other sentences already in the first uh, tw- you know, one game in. What does the Stoneforge package look, look like in Legacy? Just Swords and Shite plus Caldra? Uh, currently, what you do with Stoneforge is you just play Batterskull plus Caldra Complete or whatever. Not even a single sword. Yeah, the list I copied had a sort of Feast and Famine plus a Jite in the sideboard. Okay. Um, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It it would take some testing, because whenever you're up against like a white deck, you can bring in your cauldra, but then they just swords or whatever your token. And Yeah, that, 
That's why I picture you had like one real equipment in between quotes, like a sword or a shite, because when your opponent has solitude or ending, both Battleschool and Kaldra are like really, really bad. Your Sun Force becomes sort of useless. Yeah, yeah. In in those matchups, you, you kind of become more of like a Jason Mind Sculptor swords snap swords deck. Okay. And you lean less into this uh the like the sword package. Uh, Stoneforce plus Batter Skull is fine because you can always rebuy the Batter Skull. There's always tricks you can play. You can always just play, you know, Stoneforge and they kill it, and then you brainstorm the Batter Skull back to cast a Stoneforge later. Yeah. Oh yeah, brainstorm, brainstorm exists. You're that's something I sort of forget when you play Stoneforge packages in Legacy. You have brainstorms, so Stoneforge always has value, unlike in modern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every game where you draw two, like a Batter Skull, and then you top deck the Cauldra, you're like, thank God I have this brainstorm into a fetch land, or else I'm pretty sure I'd lose this game just on the spot. So, with that being said, we have some housekeeping to do before we go right to our new card, right? Yeah, so as always, uh, if you like what we do on the show, you can support us at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. We greatly appreciate your support there. There are plenty of perks at the different tiers. The entry level gets you access to our Discord, which is one of the world's, or digital world's, great oases of magic minds coming together to think about brewing in the Faithless style. The perfect mixture of chaos and brewing madness. It's a beautiful place. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and we have a, a new patron we'd like to thank, thank to Jens A. So again, uh, thanks for your patronage. We appreciate that. And we also have a couple of new reviews, and we appreciate those as always, especially when they're uh, five-star reviews. Not that you have to, of course. We appreciate honest <laughs> feedback. First off, we have Seamless Loop from... Uh, March 11th saying best podcast ever I can't believe I found you all this is the best podcast ever I love the rotating cast it really helps me stay interested they talk about my favorite formats and they brew an unhealthy amount of decks like me keep it up you all and stay hyped for Capenna hopefully they didn't like the fact that I wrote it out for you know over a month uh, <laughs> but we- <laughs> yeah yeah but, but we are now rotating like the perfect new pair for that comment right yeah yeah keeping things for sure and we're all hyped for Capena. We just want new expansions and new Elspeth. Oh, yeah, new Triumphs. Hell yeah, let's go. I mean, they're not Triumphs, but they're Triumphs. Not Triumphs, not Towers, nor anything. <laughs> I already ranted on this. I'm not going back on that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's uh, keep you away from the trigger warnings. Uh, we also have Eladrill saying... Quote, best constructed content around. These guys are awesome. For those of us who keep up with Modern Pioneer and like to brew niche jank, these guys have some awesome insight. I feel that I've grown as a Magic player since I started listening to them. I am so grateful for their content that I signed up for their Patreon, and the Discord is full of like-minded brewers as well. Definitely a podcast worth a listen if you're into constructed formats like Modern and Pioneer. So thanks to both of these listeners for the feedback. Yeah helps keep us motivated and these algorithms love their methodologies involving ratings and reviews if you've ever been on youtube in the last you know (laughs) four years (laughs) a lot of talk about the algorithms and how they lead you somewhere yeah yeah at least the podcasts don't have the click a little button up to the right stuff uh it doesn't really doesn't quite work in this medium (laughs) you don't have like the whole display of of what your viewers are looking at at that specific moment so that's uh, housekeeping aside. Let's do a quick roundup of just topics we could discuss, but probably won't. First <laughs> off, we had a set championship over the weekend. Alchemy was played. Historic was played. If you don't know what the Alchemy cards do, you could go to wizards.com to see the deck list and get treated to mysterious A-Goldspan Dragon with no hyperlink to not tell you what it does. Or you could watch an arena where the card would be in a different language and most of the time doesn't have the description showing. Uh, but that said, people who did watch it said the gameplay was actually really good, high quality, you know, gameplay and interaction. Mm-hmm. You like to see one playing at least one Phoenix deck. The alchemy decks, like people are venturing into dungeons. Like, I don't know what they did to that format, but it is not <laughs> magic as we know it. <laughs> well, remember in early February or March, they said they were going for like a a big unban in multiple formats, and people were like, okay, companions are dying. On that day, the only thing they did was buff every single dungeon card in alchemy. 
And everyone thought it was going to be meaningless, and all of a sudden, everyone is exploring dungeons for the first time in forever, in Maxix's history. Yeah, yeah, it's like, there's the, the two-mana card that sucks, I forget his name, that's how much it sucks, but it's like, white-black, and it's like, everybody's playing it. There's a deck that's like, Orza Adventure, and they play it, you're like, alright, Orza Adventure, that's fine. And they're up against Marty Midrange, and I see they, they also have the card, and they're not even a, classified as Adventure. I don't know, it's a strange format. It, it's just a powerful card, and... It's one of those moments where just they have like the specific card and it's a dungeon deck because a card explores a dungeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's actually like value dungeons. It's not the Acerarak like Aluren loops or whatever. Like these people are like venturing into the dungeon because like they believe that every step you take into a dungeon is a step towards God or I don't know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting closer to greatness. Perfection, you know, some some <laughs> some worthy destination. <laughs> That's what dungeons do. They get you closer to God, everybody. <laughs> Not religion related. Yeah, yeah. So congrats to the people who did well. Uh, that also relates to who makes it to worlds where we can probably see more alchemy historic uh, happening. 100%. Uh, also... Mord got banned by Jeff Hoogland, and then somehow Jeff Hoogland banning people blew up on Twitter. <laughs> there was this whole blew up because he started he had a discussion with Andres, with Andres, and he started banning every single person that liked his tweet. Like even if you have never interacted with Hoogland, if you like like that specific tweet, you got banned. And then I answered back on something he said, which I didn't agree like at all, which was like Arena is the least expensive way to play Magic, and I was like. I can't afford Arena and I play MTCO, so the logic does not quite track. So I finally ate the <laughs> ban the ban hammer by Hoogland. The block hammer. Yeah, I was reading a Reddit thread about like what are like the best changes you made to your life. And one person was like, the best thing I did is to learn to cut toxic people out of my life. If you have friends or family that just like whenever you see them, you kinda like frown a bit and it's like get annoyed at what they say, just like don't hang out with them. You have this within your power. And I, I don't really have anything personal against Jeff Hoogland, but I, I get in the vibe that uh, maybe I should try to get banned by him too. <laughs> it's quite easy. That's a good thing. Yeah. It's so easy. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of posts on Twitter that were like, I have never interacted with Hoogland and I found out I'm blocked. So it's easier <laughs> to be blocked than not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, apparently. Well, I'm still, I'm still not banned, although maybe he'll listen to our podcast and uh, and that's the way out. Reaction. Yeah. So we discussed those possible ways of avenues of talking, but let's talk about the meat of the matter, like what brings us here tonight. Yeah, new alchemy spoilers, right? Oh, just kidding. Of All course. Right. Well, those, those do exist. They are real. Uh, there are some interesting ones. Those do exist. Some cards are beautifully designed. Some have the old usual problem that you will hear a lot of, of magical people say, this could really easily be done in paper with X, 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 and exchange. And they just propose a whole new paragraph. It's lovely. Yeah, a lot of these cards have like templating of if you don't have any lands in hand or if you don't have any instants or sorceries in hand, you get like a super cheap, like better Snapcaster. Yeah. Which is a, is a cool design space they opened up with this templating that I guess would be awkward in paper. You don't need to have like additional cost show your hand or weird stuff like that, that they just right, keep all right. together. Yeah, and if it's like a better Snapcaster, you have to reveal your hand. It's kind of awkward. Yeah. But yeah, on to the main course, shall we? On to the main course that starts with a bit of a funny story that I hadn't heard of before this before a few days ago. So the strong plate for the night will be Seance. That's how I think it's pronounced. Could be Seance as well. I will never know. No, Seance is right. Okay, Seance it is. It's a formal enchantment for anybody that doesn't know that at the beginning of each upkeep you may exile target card in your graveyard and if you do, you create a token of it that gets exiled on your end step. On the, on the end step. So you get a creature of your graveyard for a single turn and then it gets exiled. That's how you sum it up shortly. Right. So it's basically like a, a cheaper mana value but probably worse ability than like a God Pharaoh's Gift type card. Yeah, exactly. For the cheap cost of 4 mana, but you don't get a permanent 4-4. Four, four. Right, and it doesn't get haste. It doesn't get haste. The upside, though, is it's in both turns. 
So if you can keep activating it, it's really fast climbs out of control. Yeah, yeah. And it only costs two white white, whereas God Pharaoh's gift people are, you know, trying to like refurbish it or whatever. <laughs> the good old days. Refurbish the seven mana artifact. Yeah. So how did this seance card become our card of the week, given it dates all the way back to Dark Ascension? So a few weeks ago, we interviewed Anthony, who is a close friend of mine, also known as I Play Bad Decks, and he was really, really into Seance a few months ago. And I thought we needed to just give the card a spot because it has like the close enough to power level that you need while being an interesting enough card that has never seen play. Like I have found zero five offs with Seance in Modern. Like literally zero, which is quite shocking. Yeah, but that's that's just because you can play with Luris, right? I mean, with with Luris gone, it's, it's open season on this card. <laughs> it's open season on the format. Like you see goblins five oving consistently. You see every single deck just getting by new try in the sun because people are free. No, oh, yeah, I mean goblins made top eight of uh, I forget if it was the Hunter Burden Memorial or one of the challenges. Yeah. But... And that's all because Lurus got banned and we have this new breath of air for everybody to see. So, did you know a bit about the Seance guy before this? It was it just me that was in the dark? I did not really know about the Seance guy. <laughs> it is quite a rabbit hole. <laughs> How about you? Are you familiar with the story? No, I ha- like when Dan said something about the new players might not know it and old players will enjoy hearing it, I was like... Why does this sound, like, so ominous? Like, who would say this? And then I started reading, and we got more and more info. I was like, what are we seeing here? Right. So for anyone that has no idea about it, there's a guy on Reddit that was obsessed with Seance and had, like, some weird decision-making. At first, he pays a bounty on people burning copies of Seance, which is just... I, I can't picture today a post of someone asking people to burn cards for money. Right. It's like this weird intersection of MTG finance, like people trying to corner the market of a certain card that they like deduce the print run is low and they realize that if they go to TCG Player and buy all the copies up and they go to Card Kingdom and buy all the copies up, soon there'll be no copies in rotation and the there will be some demand. And if they can hype the demand at least a little bit, we have what's called a pump and dump scheme in finance. And so, like, maybe that's the motivation, but also the offer for compensation was denominated in up to $1,200 in Bitcoin. And so, all of a sudden, it's like, is this MTG Finance or is this somebody who, like, became a Bitcoin millionaire and it's just like they retired, they quit their job because why would you work if you have a bunch of millions in Bitcoin? And then they just are dedicate their life to enjoying it and they're retired so they need hobbies and what better hobby is there than trying to destroy the entirety of one specific magic card start with destroying it and then go to the second part of his plan which was paying pro players to play it in a pro tour 90 bitcoins to any player that got a top it in the pro tour with seance yeah which at the time was a mere $38,000 <laughs> If you calculate 90 Bitcoins today, you'll realize it is uh, quite a lot larger. So it turns out that the the seance guy is undoubtedly quite pleased that nobody uh, took his offer. And he just got to save the Bitcoin for the $3 million it will amount today. Right, right. Yeah, so we have like the elements of like him pumping it with trying to get it onto the Pro Tour. We have elements of him trying to pump it on the supply side by getting copies to be burned. But also it's just like, it's not with like a card like Snapcaster Mage, right? Where you just like, you know that there's all these players in the world that like just are dying to cast Snapcaster Mage. You see it in tons of decks. And if you can limit the supply of that and, and own a bunch of copies, then you can trickle them out and, and develop your own, you know, corner of the market. This isn't a card like that. This is like a speculative card. And he tried to generate the demand himself by offering money for the product. He was like, first shorten the demand and then the supply and then generate the demand out of thin air. It was like the craziest yeah. plan of in, the, in Earth for no apparent reason whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. But I think the crazier part is that nobody took him up on his offer. Like, if you're like a pro being like, I'm going to win the Pro Tour, you know, maybe, yeah, you play a serious deck. But if you like... 
you know, kind of limped your way into winning a PTQ, which is certainly no small accomplishment. Uh, but you don't have time to like have a testing team. Wouldn't you just take him up on this? It really depends on what the offer was. Like I, I put it in myself. If the offer was play this at the Pro Tour and like get day two, I would. If it was like get top thirty two or like something really really hard, I wouldn't. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I see in the notes that you have to make top eight to get the full ninety Bitcoin. That is a bit of a scam. Depends on how the split was. Like, if the guy said you get 10 bitcoins if you just play this at the Pro Tour, yeah, I'm signing this up. I'm making a seance deck and playing it 100% without a semblance of doubt. Just depends on how he made the offer. I just love that people were like making fake piles of seance, just putting them on top of files and burning them in an attempt to cash money out of him. Everything is so weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean,. Did he buy all the copies off of all the online vendors in addition to paying people? Or could you just go to TCG Player and buy, you know, a bunch of copies and burn them and then you just kind of arbitrage the market? I kind of seemed like wonder, but didn't find any concrete answer about that. Yeah, yeah. Like, I didn't get, like, specifics about what he did. So, right. what is this seance card? What did he do with that after? So he went and tried to get a think tank of MTG Pro players to make him a perfect deck. This never happened. It never became competitive in Modern. Like, they were close with the weirdest experiment on Earth, which was making a pro player think tank for a specific card. And it just disappeared into thin air without his sweet reward of controlling the seance market. Yeah, or alternatively, then being able to build a competitive... Uh, modern deck featuring seance <laughs> exactly that will never happen yeah there's an interesting uh podcast dating back to 2017 from kitchen table magic where they actually have seance guy on the podcast but not in an uncensored form like they use like the like police interview like blah, 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 like low yeah. voice for him <laughs> Uh, I guess we, I'm not even sure if we've confirmed it's a, a man but I assume it is uh given Given the fact it's still called the Seance Guy, I will assume it is, especially after they found out who it was. Yeah, yeah. But there's a mystery here. Um, but th- there are some interesting discussion points in there. Uh, he discusses how people, as Mord mentioned, try to create like fake piles of Seance where they just put like, a few on top and then you put your rest of your draft shaft below and claim they're all Seance. And then he goes into like some of the pro commentary where they were saying that they prefer the deck uh, to build a deck. I forget if it was as a mid-range deck or against a mid-range deck. Because uh, like they were saying like a control deck would just kill your seance. But a mid-range deck, you know, back in 2017, mid-range decks didn't come with like a, you know, eight main deck answers to enchantments. No, like barely any at all, if I can think of. Like, you know, Maelstrom Pulse is all I can think of. <laughs> right like some old school card yeah just like listening to them describe the state of modern <laughs> that alone is an interesting uh blast from the past but the pros gave him the conclusion that they were missing a strong one drop like a viserys here that makes treasures instead of scrying that lets you sack your creatures or sorry makes clues instead of scrying i'm not actually sure why they why the, the clue specifically clues important compared to scrying they just need something better to sacrifice the tokens and get value out of it. Like, once to make some use, you need to get both the ETB and then something with, like, the body of the token. It's what I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. And that was likely the best possible alternative they had at the time. Now I think they have, like, Carrion Feeder, but I don't think that's good enough. Yeah. But first, before we go into some more of, like, the Sans Brewing theory, a couple rule comments... Uh, just reading the card explains the card as usual, but it's a weird card, so it's worth reading a few times. At the beginning of each upkeep, you may exile target creature card from your graveyard. So it triggers on both your upkeep and your opponent's upkeep. So it kind of has like pseudo haste in the sense that you get the ability on your opponent's upkeep. And so if they have like sorcery speed removal, prismatic ending or whatever, you will get one activation from it. If you do create a token that's a copy of that card, except as a spirit, in addition to its other types, exile the beginning of the next end step. Nobody said haste. Nobody said haste. You just get a token. It doesn't get haste. 
It's gonna die later. This is unusual. Kiki makes people think of haste. Because of Kiki, like everything that gets exiled on Este, people assume haste. And this doesn't say it, everybody. Yeah, well, it's one of these like these design things where I think there's a lot of cards that function in this way that give haste. Yeah. Because uh, it's really hard to make use out of it otherwise. Tokens retain all characteristics, including mana value. Uh, you can block with the tokens. They're spirits in case you're building, you know, Drogskull Captain decks or whatever. <laughs> if you want to give a more use out of your non-hasty 3-2 or 4-3, you can have it be a spirit for some reason. Yeah, yeah. And lastly, it gets exiled. It doesn't get sacrificed. It will disappear no matter what you try to do because it's a token. So it's really hard to kind of create permanent value unless, of course, the card you're bringing back uh, has an ETB trigger or a way to sacrifice itself for value. Yeah, so that's what you're looking for mostly. You're looking at the realms of stuff that sacrifice themselves that make it both easy to put in your graveyard and get use out of the token. For example, the first card most people think about is Full Major Mage. As you can play it on turn 3, sacrifice it, get it back on turn 4, sacrifice it with the Seans. Or Amazing ETVs, like Solitude. Yeah, and that's a case where the pseudo-haste of the Seans triggering on your opponent's upkeep is quite relevant because you get to punk their land with your Fulminator on, uh, before they go to their main phase. Exactly. And it's sort of like having it for sort of like enigmatic, like being in your end step and being in your opponent's upkeep is almost the same. Like I can't think of many scenarios where it's different. Maybe with a grief and an instant, but and they were top down. But it's almost the same as it activating on your turn. Right, right. Of course, Fulminator Mage is the first one Mord mentioned, but there is a long list of cards with similar templating. Uh, Sakura Tribelder, Ranger Captain of Eos, Burnt and Forge Tender, Children of Corliss, Insolent Neonate, Martyr of Sands, Cathar Commando, Outland Liberator, Selfless Spirit, etc., etc. Uh, of course, you may have noticed that these cards drop off in frequency of <laughs> modern play as we go down the list uh, pretty quickly, but some of these cards do see play. The first four were quite decent, and then we immediately just go downhill. Outland Liberator is quite decent. Outland Liberator actually sees, sees play in more than you would think. It sees play in Legacy. It's a weird card. The in, <laughs> When it flips, it's just so stupidly good, and it's an amazing way for like ETV decks to get rid of Torporor with something they can find. Right, right. Yeah, and in Legacy, you can Green Sun Zenith for it. Exactly. And they used to play cards like Kasali Pride Major, Knight of Autumn. Uh, but yeah, as you mentioned, like the fact that you can flip it, and when it's flipped, it, it just is, is insanely good in that role. Alone provides it value over, you know, Exalted or whatever. Kasali died for the sins of the Liberator. World Kasali Prime Mage. Yeah. Outside the self-sacrifice category... The other, uh, one other category of use with Seance are cards that have kind of, you know, in the evoke style, uh, which is sort of like a self-sacrifice, but not sacrifice on demand. So these are less useful in the sense that you don't get to sacrifice the token for value. But with Muldrifter, obviously with the token, the value is driven by the ETB, who cares how it dies. Exactly. It might, you can even might get a blocker from it if you get it in an opponent's turn. But what you're looking for is amazing ETVs. So we have stuff like Muldrifter, Shriekmo, Solitude, Fury, Ingotur, Foundation Breaker, Vesper Lark, so on and so forth. The new pitch elementals are just amazing as being both free with amazing ETVs and easy ways to put in the graveyard early, early on. Right. Those cards see tons of play uh, more than... I think it's any, any one of the pitch elementals sees more play than the entire first category we outlined combined. <laughs> but yeah then of course we have more of like the pure ETB triggers that you'll have to work to get them into your graveyard these are cards like Siege Rhino uh, Archon of Cruelty Season Pyromancer and Citrus Supplier which have the secondary benefit they, they do in their own way help you get other cards into the graveyard uh, we have cards like Stoneforge Mystic, Sun Titan, Hornet Queen, Crater of Behemoth. Uh, Hornet Queen plus Crater Hoof was noted by the pros as an interesting like way to get lethal. Yes, out of like on your opponent get 
And an opponent's turn get four one ones at your turn get a five five that has haste on its own plus and just gives plus five plus five to your flank tokens. It's like a really interesting and weird win con for the deck. Right, right. But and then you go with stuff like Archon, Santairan, Charmo. And finally the ways to like find your Seans in your deck. The best way I found in testing was coming with the gods, because it also self-mills you. Like, you will find the creatures you will need. Like, turn 2 commune into turn 3 Seans with, like, a Verse of Paradise is just an amazing start that will win you a lot of games. Yeah, and this used to be less confusing, but this is the card specifically commune with the gods, not commune with spirits, uh, a card just that we case. were discussing last week. This is the one that's one in a green for sorcery that reveals the top 5 of your library that puts a creature or enchantment into your hand and then the rest into your graveyard. So that will find you the creatures, and if you can grab a sea and see just perfect, or if not, you can just get a good creature to play during in your following turn. Right, right. Then there's a few kind of more less obviously, you know, pairings, such as Moonbless Cleric, Sterling Grove, Restoration Specialist, Spirit Sisters Call. This is one of the more recent ones, uh, which is in its own sense a mini seance. Yeah, sort of, you need the permanent on board instead of it sacrificing itself. The Sister Skull is a weird card with a beautiful art. It does have beautiful art. Oh my gosh, the promo? What are you even... The promo, the promo is just amazing. Yeah, yeah, both of the cards are, both of the arts are beautiful. Sadly, the card... Not as good as the art. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about it. Yeah, yeah, this card doesn't actually seem very good to me. Uh, just as a refresher, three white black enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, choose target permanent card in your graveyard. You may sack a permanent that shares a card type with that card. If you do, return that card from your graveyard to the battlefield, and it gains. If this permanent would leave the battlefield, exile it instead. So basically, you can't cast this card on empty board and get value. You have to have, you know, a creature in play to sack to get back your Fulminator Mage. Yeah, or an enchantment to get back your seance. Like, it, it requires a lot of additional build-up, and it is a 5-man enchantment. Right, right. Now, of course, you can sack Spear Sisters Call to get back seance, but <laughs> I think at this point, you're, things have gone off the rails. It's too many hopes to sacrifice your 5-man enchantment to get back your 4-man enchantment after you mill it. Just seems so specific. Yeah. So, those are kind of like the outlines of how we're thinking about this card is a general card to brew around. Let's get into some lists. So I started with... I played three deck lists of Seans during the past few days. I started with Anthony's, Anthony Marino's like base deck that looks like a 2015 deck with Solitude because I forced him into it. So Redemption Build was something like 3 Ephemerates, 3 Wall of Omens, Satyr Wayfinder, Eternal Witness, Full Major Mage, Seans, Solitude, Seas Rhino, and because why not, a Genesis. So, like, a really stock 2015 absent deck list featuring some new cards, some better removal, and Seans. I got a 3-2 on my first league with it. And Seans was, like, game-winning in almost every single game I got it to resolve, and my opponent didn't have, like, a rest in peace. The fact you could just get back Solitudes, the fact you just got back... The Fulminator Mage, like round two, I faced Tron and when like Tron one burst, turn two Fulminator, turn three Seans, and it just conceded to the second Fulminator. <laughs> because that was just like the dream scenario. Wow, you didn't even have the, the chance to kill them with a Siege Rhino. <laughs> and then I won with a Ephemerating a Siege Rhino against against Delver, so against Work Tide. So I got everything I needed that league. If only had finished my testing there. Because <laughs> Because why not? I played four leagues total. From there, I went and I went and played. A long time ago, Aspiring Spike started playing a four-color reanimator decklist, which featured practically all the cards we talk about: Grief, Solitude, Moldrifter, Archon of Cruelty, and some amazing ETVs like Wandering Mine. So I made a decision to just, and it's also a Yorion decklist because. It's me, why wouldn't I play Yorion? I don't need good arguments, I just need no bad reasons. And fire it up. So it's a persist, um, 
What's the name of the two mana tutor into the graveyard? And, sorry, a Persist and Mark Grave Faithful Mending decklist featuring Peach Elementals, Ephemerate, and Wandering Mind. And firstly, I got a 2-3, got pretty unlucky, and I didn't play correctly. I, did, I wasn't understanding how the deck worked. So I made a few changes, went up to four Muldrifters, only two Priest of rights, and got a 3-2, losing both my losses to Amulet Titan. Because outgrinding Titan with Possession on my Seance is pretty tough. Possession is a good card. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so my Seance kept getting destroyed whenever I tried to go for a 2 for 1. Yeah, I got uh, a card Possession against like a Yawgmoth player, and they only had one mana up, and I was like, it took me a while to figure out the game's not bugged. Like, they have Yawgmoth in play, so they have their land is a single mana nature's claim. Yeah. And giving opponent a land in the late game is not relevant at all. Especially when you're just going to combo with Yawgmoth. Yeah, yeah. I can see how this deck was struggling as Amulet Titan. It just isn't fast enough. Exactly. And, when, and whenever I got like a grief star, they just went ahead and top decked what, top decked what they needed because that's just... The, the thoughts is back for you. <laughs> the grief back for you. Yeah. But it was a fun deck. It was a fun idea. Could have done worse. Could have done better. I'm not going to lie. It was a really weird in-between because the Seance plan worked, but the thing is I only managed to get one or two triggers out of the Seance before running out of creatures unless I top deck Faithful Mending. Because this deck didn't have like a constant way of putting cards back into my graveyard from anywhere. Like once I just exiled the Solitude I put in the early game plus the Archon, I just got there stranded. If ever there's a deck that seems like you could trim it down and cut your iron and actually like improve it a lot, it's probably this one. Uh, just because like the Faithful Mending persists on Mark Grave package, these cards all work so well together. Yeah, the problem with that, like the reason Spike added the Yorion back on its time, is because then you fall really easily to graveyard hate. Like your plan B becomes extremely. You don't have a plan B. You just fall to a rip unless you top deck. Or you fall to any deck that can just deal with the Archons, you know? You lost to anything really fast that could go under an Archon, or you just lose to four color where resolving two or three Archons is not going to win you the game. Yeah, these two white enchantments, uh, Rest in Peace and Seance, taking completely polar opposite approaches to how to think about the dead in the universe. <laughs> one tries to commune with them, one says let them be. Let them be, just don't disturb them, and the other just brings them back for a few minutes and just says, okay, okay now you can leave. Yeah, in the Magic Universe, it turns out that let them be <laughs> uh, enchantment it comes out on top. The let it be enchantment, and it has the beautiful doggy art with the dog just legs up from the secret letter that's just beautiful to look at. <laughs> if you can handle the, the pull on the heartstrings every time you cast it. It's like the new dog, which never can remember from Commander Le from the new Commander set, the one mana one one. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Many people sacrificing the dog, and it's like a polar war into in every single forum where like killing the dog seems illegal from any side. <laughs> yeah, of course. There's also the rest in peace art with the uh, Gideon Memorial. May he rest in peace or get communed with, depending on <laughs> which white mage you are. Uh, That's also a lovely piece. Going back to this deck, I mean, two three into three two, you know, you're within like variance of of the deck being, you know, totally fine. Yeah, yeah, sort of. Like I have had better results with worse decks, and the other way around. It just felt like Seance was not doing enough in that deck. Like maybe something like Amburial Rights would have been better. Because you didn't get your animate stuff consistently. You didn't have stuff like Satyr Wayfinder to like your Satyr find one more creature, then Seance the Wayfinder to find more creatures and keep like the loop going. Where you always had something to animate for two or three turns, which is like five creatures in your graveyard. Which is a lot more than it seems if you're if you're not self-mailing. Right, that makes sense. Because you just couldn't keep it up. And Seance consumes creatures fast. Like, before your second rotation is already three creatures you need in your graveyard with decent effects. Yeah, yeah. And because the creatures don't actually get to attack unless you find a way to give them haste. Exactly. They're not going to win the game with their power. 
Exactly, so you gotta outvalue your opponent consistently with every single trigger. Wandering Mind was quite amazing. Like, Faithful Bending a Wandering Mind when I was also winning like an Archon into turn 4 Seans get back a Wandering Mind and then get an Archon was pretty amazing. That just won you a lot of games. It was so much value to just get ahead. Yeah, so I guess Wandering Mind plus Seance is another kind of natural feeling pairing where the mind digs you towards the Seance. The Seance can use a dead Wandering Mind. Exactly. That was what. That was the thing that lured me to the deck mostly. Having Archon as a thing to get back with Seance because it has to have one of the most powerful ETVs in Magic. Like it's like an Uro on both sides. Draw one, gain three life, opponent discard, sacrifices, loses three life, it's just so much text. Yeah. And I had a guy lose because he forgot that he also sacrificed base walkers. And he went ahead and sacrificed he was playing Cat Oven and sacrificed the cat and he had a defeat he got stolen with a Ragavan. And was like, okay, I don't sacrifice anything, I had to sacrifice my my Teferi. And that was just game on the bag. Wow. <laughs> one of those we're, one of those small details about the card that people tend to ignore. Archon also makes sacrifice of planeswalkers. Why does it have so yeah. much text? We don't know. We will never know. Yeah. What's interesting is I, I see that these decks don't play Gristlebrand because it doesn't work with their best reanimation cards. But Seance doesn't really have that constraint. Problem is finding Gristlebrand. Yeah. We can only faithful mending it. Because mm-hmm. Almar Gray was written quite well when they said non-legendary. Right. So not only Persist is non-legendary, but also Almar Gray. Yeah, yeah. But I can see a Seance Crystalbrand decklist making sense, or like with something amazing. We can also like Seance Aterastodon. I think there's a lot to explore there. Yeah, yeah. Seance Aterastodon seems really fun. <laughs> As a way to either get like 9 power on board... Or just destroying your opponent's lands. A lot of people don't use Terrastodon aggressively. Like, I have, when you see Terrastodon on cube, a lot of people just blow up their opponent's land instead of going like 18 power on board. See what happens. <laughs> Which is like the, the best Terrastodon. It's such a, it's such a weird card in, in cube. Uh, it's never quite clear, like... I never like see somebody choose their targets, but that was like the perfect choice. You know, whether it's my Terrastodon, my opponent's Terrastodon, a streamer's Terrastodon... <laughs> Uh, you know, do you go like two of their lands, one of your lands? So if they kill the Terrastodon, you're not like totally behind on board. You do all three of their lands because then they're just locked out of spells. But then I cannot attack because they have nine power. Right. But you have a nine nine blocker. Do you do all three of your lands because you have 18 power? Yeah. It's a weird card. Terrastodon never makes you completely happy. You're just like, yeah. I resolve the Terrastodon, I should win. And then stuff starts to happen. Right, right. Now I want to play Terrastodon. It's a pair close to Woodfall Primus, which does always make you happy, but is not good with Seance. No, because it excites on Estep. It's pretty incorrectly. And it's a token, and every single reason why it's not. Yeah, it's not even close. When, when you said Woodfall Primus, I for some reason thought about Woodland Bellower, which is not terrible with Seance. That's true. Woodland Bellower, on the contrary, is quite good. You know what card would be great <laughs> with Seance? Renegade Rallier. Which one? Renegade Rallier. Like a fair card you can play in your deck that getting back with Seance is quite interesting because at the minimum it ramps your land. Well, I think it's harder than you would imagine to get Revolt on the upkeep step. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Revolt on upkeep is not easy. Yeah, you have to like have a fetch land prepped or something. Why does it have to have a restriction? Yeah, yeah. A tiny one at that, but a restriction on the list. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're, like, chucking ephemerates around, you can do it with the Seance trigger on the stack. Yeah. Seems like something worth testing. Especially when... So, I played one final league. I was Chuchu at the time, before we started recording, which was, like, a 80-card version, a bit more refined of the 60 cards I played in the first league. So a lot more focus on Seance and playing a grindy game. So this is back to the, the kind of Abzan list featuring Seed Rhinos. Exactly. Because I, that's a, I thought that was the best way to exploit Seance. Like the first change was adding four Commune with the Gods. 
which felt amazing in the deck, and then I added four Grief and four Stitcher Suppliers. So that gave me 12 ways of filling my graveyard. Yeah, how did that work out? So I was choo at the time, felt pretty good, lost one of the games to straight variants like double mulligan to four, just never finding a land, you know, barely playing. And after that, I just got some amazing games. Like whenever you get to resolve a seance in this sort of deck list, like I have a screenshot that I went throw one verse of paradise, turn to Knight of Forum into like a into a turn three seance, double grief, my opponent. Uh, my plan was an amulet titan, and then I was gonna go turn four fulminator mage twice. Oh wow! Which is like the perfect curve. So I got my turn three. I had played a knight of Odom to destroy my opponent's amulet. Got a double discard with a grief, and next turn I was about to go fulminator mage seance fulminator mage. That is gross. <laughs> so you had some amazing curves with it. Problem was finding Seans, because the only way I had to sort of dig for it was coming with the gods, which albeit amazing is not enough. So maybe I will add some more consistency in the way of tutors, like the Sunbless, a Moonbless Cleric, not Sunbless Cleric, which is to say the least a good start in that regard. Moonbless Cleric is a wild and two mana for a three mana three two human cleric that tutors an enchantment to the top of your deck. Yeah, what's interesting about this is it both finds you a seance, but also, in theory, if the cleric winds up in the graveyard... Exactly. You can just get something with it. You can find another seance, or hopefully you have like a package that isn't just seance to tutor for. <laughs> you can always feature a, moon in your, a blood moon in your deck. There's no reason not to play a blood moon. Force your way into finding a moon. Yeah, that's true. And yeah, finally, the last version I will test probably so we can, I, I can give you some details for the recap for next Tuesday, for next recording, would be a Mardu Shell, because I got a list sent by Dan featuring Ranger Captain of Fios and Season Pyromancer that are like the perfect cards for the deck. Season Pyromancer does every single thing you want in this deck. It's a good TV, it discards cards, it leaves something if you sense it back. Like, if you sense it back, it either draws two cards or makes a few bodies to come up the board. And Captain Rachel Fios has the same, has both a good TV and an amazing sack trigger. Yeah, these cards do seem quite at home with it. So, that this will likely be my next path of approach. This beautiful Mardu Mirren shell. We can also fit some Blood Moons because Blood Moon is amazing. No reason to hate on Blood Moon. Yeah, and this is the the core of the deck list. Uh, looks like it's styled after a Mardu deck that made ninth in a challenge back in February. So they were fighting through Luris, but yeah, I mean Ragavan ramps you into Seance. Like, what's not to like? If the Ragavan dies, you can get it back for a turn cycle. Get it back. Just, just get back the monkey. The other card you could get back in your opponent's upkeep, and it's actually annoying. Is Esper Sentinel mm-hmm. because. Even if it has, it's just going to, uh, um, going to die on the end step, having it during your opponent's turn or during your turn if you plan to play into a counter spell will actually be relevant. Yeah. So with that being said, those are my last thoughts about the specifics of Seance. Like, that's going to be my last testing part of it. Sadly, the deck is going to lose Obosh because Seance is an even card. But nothing that cannot be fixed by adding 20 more cards, like just more the style. Just force it into your own deck, even if it doesn't want to be. What, what could ever go wrong? What could go wrong? So let's get to the, the real question. Uh, the $40,000 question. <laughs> if you qualified with the pro, your next Pro Tour, would you, the next modern Pro Tour, if that ever even happens, <laughs> are you going to be playing Seance in the hope of a you know $40,000 bounty? If there's a bounty, I will play Seance. I will play any deck with a bounty. I, I, worst case scenario, I have said this in the past. Sometimes the best deck, like the best Seance deck, is four color mid range playing 84 cards featuring four Seance. Just take a perfectly tuned 80 card, you know, Urian deck and then just add four Seance and don't worry about the cuts. Exactly. Just say, okay, this is likely the best Seance deck. I don't think Seance has reached that scenario yet. I think like there's potential to make a good deck out of this card. But a lot of cards that people love, sadly, the best possible place for them is just 
slotting them as a fun one-off. Yeah, yeah. The the eighty card shell lets you hide. <laughs> you can hide your scenes. Hide your marks of shame. What do you mean, Sans? You, you play any any deck for a bounty, but any deck for any bounty that that doesn't seem right. I'm pretty cheap. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we want to explore the exact limits of what the bounty has to be. <laughs> you know, there, there's prize money on the line, right? So you have to consider it that if you play one of these, uh, you know, let's just call it yeah. a more questionable deck. Inspire to deck choices. Uh, you, you lower your chance of top eighting. Yeah, you're right. But there's also the, it depends on how the bounty... The, the same thing. If the bounty is just for playing it, I'm taking my secured money by taking the bounty. If it's for a top eight, no, I'm playing what I think is the best deck in the format at that specific moment, or at least the deck I enjoy the most. That's fair. That's fair. On the other hand, you know, if you if you don't make top eight with your seance deck, you can at least burn them for value. <laughs> it's the one card you can actually burn for value. Yeah, although I think sadly the the seance offer is no longer standing uh, and hasn't been for years. That's so crazy. <laughs> That the fa- I just can't believe there was a bounty of it. Like, it just proves my mind. And I mean, also, this person became, you know, a, a extremely minor internet celebrity for, you know, a mere $1,200. Sometimes just having the right post at the right time. It's going to change. It's just going to make you the seance guy. You can always just become the seance guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. I think that's a wrap on our brew sessions. They are... We have no more debt to commune with. They are resting in peace. But tune back in Sunday for our episode on both Transmogrify, what can we do with this card now? David has some fresh lists for us. And also our flashback to our testing results with Commune with Spirits. We were pretty spiritual this week between Seance and Commune. We just didn't want Spirits to rest. Commune with gods, commune with spirits, seance, yeah, lots of communing. <laughs> lots of communing with the, with the old spirits. Yeah, cool. Well, I'll see you soon. See you soon. That's a wrap on this edition of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Tune in on Sunday for new takes on Transmogrify in Pioneer, plus testing results with commune with spirits. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. If you like what we do, you can join our community at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.